Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew 28, you can just put there, that's where we're going to start, and we'll be going different places. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We've been going verse by verse, passage by passage. We're almost to the end. We're in the last section. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross to pay for sin. He's already risen again. He's uh, made some appearances. A few people have seen him. It's great, powerful truths because Jesus Christ is alive. He died and rose again. He is a risen Savior. Let me remind you of some things. This is what happened the morning of his resurrection. The first of all, the stone was moved away and the guards fainted. And then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and then Salome also. And then there probably was one other woman. They all came to the tomb. The women found that the stone had been moved away and they looked in and saw that it was empty. Mary Magdalene left those women and ran back to tell Peter and John. While she was gone, an angel appeared to the women and told them that Jesus was alive and to go tell the disciples. About that time after the women left, Peter and John arrived. They went in, they saw the empty tomb, they saw the clothes that had been laying around that were all, you know, in in perfect order, and they saw all that. They didn't know exactly what to believe. After they left, Mary Magdalene came back, looked into the tomb, saw an angel. Angel said that Jesus was alive. She turns around. She sees Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus. She says, she thinks it's the gardener. She says, what have you done with the body? And he calls her name. He calls her Mary. She recognizes his voice, and she falls down to worship him. And what we saw is that when people saw the resurrected Lord, they fell down at his feet and worshiped him. And then they were told to go tell others. After that, after Mary Magdalene saw Jesus... Jesus then appeared to those women who were on the way that were running. They were supposed to be going to tell the, uh, the disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead. He actually appeared to them, and they fell down at his feet and worshiped him, and then he told them to go tell. After that, soldiers then went and told the chief priest that, that what had happened, an angel came, the, the tomb, had, the rock had rolled away, the tomb was empty, and the, the priests, and they bribed the soldiers, told them, don't, don't tell that. Tell them that you fell asleep and the body was stolen, and that, that's the story we're going to tell. Well, that's where we are. We have seen this much of that. That's that resurrection morning. That's where we are. We also put up the, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and we saw him appear to Mary. We saw him appear to the women. We had a statement in Luke that he appeared to Peter sometime in that afternoon. And then we saw last week that the two disciples on the way to the to a they actually uh, saw, saw Jesus. They didn't know it was him at first, and then he appeared to them. This morning, as we continue, we're going to see Jesus appears to the ten disciples. Thomas is not there. Then he's going to appear to the eleven disciples. Thomas is there. And then we're going to see a little bit later on, he's going to appear to seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee. So if you notice, we're going to actually be in John, even though I said go ahead and turn to Matthew. That's that's where we are. But to see these uh, resurrection appearances of Jesus, we have to go to different places as well. Matthew doesn't record every one of them. But we're going to see those this morning. So we saw the first four... We're going to see three, and as we uh, three more, and as we think about that, here's some questions to raise: Why is the resurrection so important? What does it matter? And we'll talk about it. And then, what is our responsibility as those who are representatives of Jesus Christ? We'll think about it as we go through it. You know, there's a the old famous saying is "seeing is believing." People say something, I don't believe it until I see it. Well, you know, or somebody says, I won't believe it unless I see it. Well, this kind of goes back to Thomas. He's sometimes called doubting Thomas because of the event that we're going to look at this morning. Jesus appeared to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. They tell Thomas, and he says, 
what? No, I will not believe unless I see. So Thomas is one of those, even though uh, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared and they came and told him, the guy said, hey, he was here. He said, what? Uh, No, unless I actually see him, maybe I touch him myself, I'm just not going to believe. Well, here's a question for us. How many of us in this room have seen Jesus? But we'd all, if we're telling the truth, we say, no, we hadn't seen him. You know, I might have had a dream that he was in it or something, but I know I've not seen him. And yet we believe. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and rose again. And we know the message. We've seen him in the scripture and we have believed in him. Jesus said, blessed are those who, who, uh, who have not seen me and believed. Well, let's begin and let's think about the death and resurrection of Christ. And remember the gospel message, the good news message is not that Jesus died on the cross. It is, that's part of it. The other part is he rose again. And probably the greatest truth of all is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't die and if he didn't rise again, there's no payment for sin. There is no victory over the grave and Jesus Christ is not God. That tells us in in 1 Corinthians 15, there's no payment for sin if Jesus didn't rise. There's no victory over the grave because death is not conquered. And Jesus Christ is not God if he didn't rise from the dead. So we've been, we're seeing all this. And as we look at it, if you remember, we saw the first four, Mary Magdalene, the women, Peter, and the two disciples. This morning, we're going to see the next three, the 10 disciples, the 11 disciples, and the seven disciples. We'll see that. Let me just give you a brief review. Mary was in the garden. She was weeping. She was looking in the tomb. Uh, she knew it was empty. She doesn't think he rose from the dead. In fact, she thinks somebody stole the body. She hears something behind us. She turns around behind her, and there's Jesus standing there. She thinks he's the gardener. For some reason, she doesn't recognize him. It could be tears in her eyes. It could be the early sunlight. It could be she just didn't see who he was. And she thinks it's the gardener. And so she says, where have you put the body? I'll take it. And he calls her name Mary. And when he does, she knows exactly. She hears his voice. Uh, his sheep hears his voice. And uh, she fell down before him. And then we saw last time or the, that the, two, the women, probably three women were on their way. And Jesus appeared right in front of them. And as he, as he appeared, uh, they fell down and worshiped him as well. And he said, go tell others. We saw the message in Luke 24 that Peter, sometime that afternoon, Jesus had appeared to Peter. And then last week, the two on the road to Emmaus walking with him, and he taught them. As we continue, before, if we were in Matthew, we would get to verse 16 of Matthew 28, but we got to remember there's something else. So what we're going to do is look at the fifth time that he uh, comes, and it's to the ten disciples. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 20. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 20, and we're going to be about verse 19. So while you're turning there, just remember that Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. The women, those three or four women, they have seen Jesus. Peter has seen Jesus. And two people, two men, most likely, on the road to Emmaus have seen Jesus. That's all so far. And we're going to find that the disciples are all in a room together. And only one missing is Thomas. So there's 10 of them there. And Jesus is going to appear. This is where he appears to the ten disciples. John chapter 20, look at verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now notice it's the end of the day. This is the day that he rose from the grave. We saw that long list of everything that happened that morning. This is now almost the end of the day. It says that it was on the first day of the week. The doors were shut. They're in a room, and they shut the doors. 
And they're really, they're, in a sense, they've shut the doors. And why have they shut the doors? Because they're afraid, it says, for the fear of the Jews. They were afraid the Jews were going to hunt them down. They, they realize that the rumors are out about Jesus being raised and the Jewish leaders are upset. And they're going to probably start trying to find anyone that followed Jesus, that believed in Jesus, that was his disciples. They might try to find them and kill them. And so they are in a room and they've got the door shut. And they were afraid. In fact, it says they were afraid that they might be killed. It says for fear of the Jews. Well, then Jesus comes and, and appears in there. And, and notice what he says to them. He stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Now, I want you to understand that the doors were shut and then Jesus just appears. And so there he is. He didn't knock on the door and say, excuse me, can y'all let me knock on the door? Like, you know, so what's going on? And I've had people say, well, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's got a glorified body. Do you think we, when we get glorified bodies, because God's going to change our bodies to glorious bodies like his, some people say, do you think we'll be able to go like one place to the other or go through walls and just appear places? I have no idea. You know, you one thing you've got to remember, Jesus is God. So he can do whatever he needs to do and be wherever he needs to be. So anyway, he's, he just appears right in front of them. And, uh, you know, they're all, they're afraid. And look what he says to them. The end of verse 19, peace be with you. See, Jesus Christ brings peace in the time of fear. It is so easy to be afraid in a fallen world that goes against everything that we believe. And I've talked to believers even in the last weeks, and they're all saying, I don't know what we're going to do. The world is changing so rapidly. It doesn't seem to be changing for the better at all. So what are we going to do? And Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. Jesus brings peace. There are really two kinds of peace you find in the Bible. There's peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God is the fact that when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we have peace with God. Before we trust Jesus Christ, we're basically enemies of God. All we like sheep have gone astray, each our own way. There's none righteousness, not one that seeks after God. And yet when we trust in Christ, we now have peace with God. Romans 5, 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So now we're brought back in harmony with God. The peace of God is God. God's peace in our lives as we live the Christian life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. And so Jesus is giving them peace. He's saying, I'm here with you. I'm here. It says, peace be with you. And we all need peace because there's troubles and problems and everything else. But the peace of God is passes all understanding. See, Jesus died and rose again, and he's going to bring us with him. And he is the Savior of the world, and we have eternal life. And he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, that's the word fear, but of power and love. And discipline. What that really says is God hasn't given us fear. We're not supposed to be afraid. We have power, God's power. We have love, God's love. And the word discipline there literally meant self-control. We can, we can control. We're not at the mercy of even ourselves or anything else. And so the bottom line is, he says, God hadn't given us the spirit of fear. We're not supposed to go through life being afraid. We go through life in power, his power through us, his love through us, and the self-discipline that comes as a believer. And so he basically says, uh, you know, you don't have to be afraid. Peace be with you. And then look what he does, verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine him saying, see, look, this is the scars. This is where the nails went through right here. And this is where that soldier stabbed me real, you know, with that thing. I mean, think about it. He showed them that. And it says they rejoiced. 
They rejoice because, see, it's bodily resurrection. Understand something. Whenever the Bible talks about resurrection, it's not talking about some kind of spirit thing. It's talking about a body being raised. And Jesus Christ has conquered death, and every human being is going to be raised from the dead. Some will be raised from the dead to spend eternity separated from God. The Bible calls it the second death. is because they did not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, did not trust in Him. Others will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's called eternal life, and that's because they put their faith in Him, trusted in Him to give them eternal life. They saw it. They felt the body. They said, this is real. And one day, you're going to have a body that will never wear out. It's an eternal body. It's called, it's called a glorified body. And so Jesus showed his hands and his side, and the disciples, then they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But watch what he does. Again, in verse 21, he says, So then Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. That's the second time. He said, Peace. Don't be afraid. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, he gives them a responsibility. And here's what he says. As the Father sent me, the Father sent Jesus into the world to fulfill the ministry, to die and rise again. He says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to go out with a ministry as well, and that is to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. That is to proclaim the message of salvation. So he says to those guys, I'm sending you out. Now, there's a great truth. We can look at that and say, well, Jesus is talking to the, right there to those 10 men. And next time it'll be 11 men. But we could look at that and say, well, that's just for them. No, it's not just for them. Because at the very end, we'll see it in Matthew, he tells those people, he says, go and make disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. And that's ultimately for all of us. And we're to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so he says, as the Father has sent me, I will send you. What a powerful thing. Every one of us in this room, we get to go. We get to go tell people about Jesus Christ. I know that some people say, I don't really want to. Well, you need to. I know it's scary, but remember, he hasn't given you the spirit of fear, power, love, self-control. We don't have to be afraid. We can go with the great message. So he says, as the Father sent me, I have sent you. I'm sending you to do the same thing. This is the, the commission and we call it the Great Commission. And by the way, the Great Commission is found at the end of Matthew, it's found at the end of Mark, it's found at the end of Luke, it's found at the end of John, and it's found at the beginning of the book of Acts. That's the message. So here's what he does. Now watch verses 22 and 23, because they're a little bit troubling, so watch this. It says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we all know that the Holy Spirit came in a permanent way on the day of Pentecost. You understand that in the Old Testament, people had the, Old, they had the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit didn't permanently indwell in people. The Holy Spirit came upon people, but not, did not indwell permanently in people. We know in the church age, when the church started, the Holy Spirit came and comes to live inside of every believer, and it's permanent. And so that's the difference. Now, that happened on the day of Pentecost, which is about 50 days into the future from this day. So what is Jesus doing when it says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit? And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think he's given them power to carry out the ministry for the next 50 days until the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and permanently indwells. So this is what he's doing, I think, with these, with these men. And this is why he does that. He goes on to say this, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. He's saying, you go in my authority. You represent me. I can put this up here. They, they represent Jesus Christ and go in his authority. And if they tell somebody by, by trusting in Jesus, they say, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Jesus says, when you tell them that, it's, it's done because it's already done. Because Jesus is already 
already said that anyone that believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And by the way, if you look at the verse carefully, it says, if you forgive the sins of any, that's present tense, then their sins have been forgiven. That's past tense. That's actually what they call perfect tense in the Greek, which means it's happened in the past with a continuing result. So he's just saying, you go out in my authority, you represent me. What has he done? He's done this. He's told them about peace peace from Jesus Christ. He's told them they've seen the bodily resurrection, that it's really true, it's him, and they've been given a commission sent out in God's power to tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, at this time, let's stop. So, Mary Magdalene has seen him. The two or three women have seen him. Peter has seen him. Two people on the road to Emmaus have seen him. And 10 of the 11 disciples have now all seen him. So, who's left out? Thomas is left out of the group, right? Thomas wasn't there. And, and notice the verse 24 says, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, by the way, you know what Didymus means? It means twin. He had a twin. We don't know as a twin brother or twin sister. They're never mentioned. He's just called Didymus, which means the twin. And so Thomas was one of the 12 called Didymus who was not with them when Jesus came. Now think about that. Thomas wasn't there. He, he missed seeing Jesus. Can you imagine him coming and they go, where have you been? He thought, well, I I was just out hanging around. Well, Jesus came. What? He came right here. We saw him. We touched him and everything. What? Yes. I don't believe it. Well, yeah, he's here. He was here. Well, unless, unless I see it, unless I actually touch him, I, I, just, I just can't believe it. I'm just not going to believe it. Because that's what it says. So the other disciples were saying to him in verse 25, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, if I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and I put my finger in the place of the nails and I put my hand inside, I will not believe. People want proof. I mean, that's something. Think about this. What do we have? What do we, what do we have to tell people about Jesus? Well, first of all, think about it. We have the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharpening to its sword. The Word of God gives us the information that when you look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it tells you all about Jesus. Matthew tells you about the king, and Mark tells you about the servant, and Luke tells you about the perfect man, and John tells you that he's God, and, and they give you the information in the Bible. So we have the Word of God, which tells us the truth. You could say, well, I've never seen Jesus but I've seen him in the scripture. Here's, here's what, something I do. I have all kind of reading programs. I know you all have reading programs as you read through the Bible. One of the things I do over and over is I read the four gospels over and over and over. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I just keep reading them because I want to see Jesus. I want to keep my focus on him, even though I've read him a lot. I mean, I've read him a lot. And sometimes if I'm not careful, I, I can read it too fast because I've read it so many times. But it's important to keep the focus on Jesus Christ because in, in the word of God, we have the proof. We have who he is and what he did. And then we also have historical accounts. We have people who lived, we have people who wrote in the end of the first century, people who wrote at the beginning of the second century and they wrote about it. There were people who lived in the second century that knew people who knew Jesus, who knew him. And I'm going to read something right at the very end. I'm going to read you a right, a little article from somebody, a historical account of what they believe. And then the third thing, the changed lives, the changed lives of the disciples and then people throughout history. Thomas says, I, I just, I just can't believe it unless I see it. I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know what I would do. I would really be disappointed if I came back from somewhere and everybody else had seen him but me. If all the other guys had seen him, if I'm hanging around with the 11 and I come back and they go, we all saw him, you didn't. I go, that's not fair. You know, I'd say, I, well, I ain't going to believe it. I'm not believing it until I see it myself. 
And so that's basically what he says. And so we're going to see now the sixth appearance of Jesus and his 11 disciples, all are there, and it's eight days later. Can you imagine if you were Thomas and they said Jesus came? So the next day you say, maybe he'll come in today, and he didn't. And the next day, and he didn't. And the next day, and he didn't. And, and you finally think, maybe he's not coming to where I can see him. Eight days later, look at verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst. And what do you say? Peace be with you. He did exactly the same thing that he said last time. He disappeared. Now, once again, the doors are shut. We're not sure why. Maybe it's just to show that Jesus doesn't have to knock on the door and come in. He just appears. And what does he say again? Peace be with you. That's at least the third time that he's told them, you don't have to be afraid. Just trust me. And then he says to Thomas, watch. After eight days, his disciples were again, and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, verse 27, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And he said, remember you said you wouldn't believe unless you saw this and this. Go ahead, touch this, touch this. Stop unbelieving. That's what he basically says. He says, stop being unbelieving. Stop unbelieving. Jesus tells Thomas to believe. Now listen, we're not talking about believing for salvation. They've already a long time ago believed that Jesus was the Savior, that he's the Messiah. They put their faith in him. They have eternal life. He's he's talking about believe that I'm alive and believe that I'm in this body and believe that I've resurrected from the dead. That's what he's really talking about. And the others have seen it, and Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it. And then Jesus says, believe it. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Wow. And watch as Thomas's response. But Thomas, Thomas answered, verse 28, Tom answered, said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, people look at that, and I want you to understand, my Lord and my God, both words mean the same thing. The word for Lord is kurios. That's the first word. He says, my Lord, my God. The word is kurios, which means, uh, means deity. And then the other one is theos, which means God. And he's, he's, calling, he's saying, my God and my God. That's what he's really saying. He's so overcome. And he says, my God and my God. Would they put my Lord and my God? That's what he says. And it's powerful. And then Jesus said to him, verse 29, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. This is a powerful statement. You have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. See, that's us. Listen, I haven't seen him. I've seen him in the scripture. I've seen him in the word of God, but I haven't seen him personally. And Jesus said, blessed are those who actually haven't seen me, but they have believed. See, he is the son of God. He is the savior. He died 2,000 years ago and rose again. And we go back (coughs) to the word of God, not a personal experience, Because we did not see him. But Jesus says, blessed are those who didn't see me and believe. Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are told the truths from the Bible. And when we see those truths, we are persuaded. We believe that they are true, that Jesus died and rose again. Faith is taking God at his word. That's what it is. We believe Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again, and gives to us the gift of eternal life. We must go to the word of God. It is the basis for our lives. Well, we got one more thing to say, and we'll go fairly quickly. I want you to see it. We're going to see the seventh appearance of Jesus, and he appears at Galilee, and it's found in John 21. So you're right there. If your Bible's like mine, you don't even have to turn the page. Just look over at John chapter 21, and we're going to see what happens. It's a famous passage 
And I'm going to give you as much detail as quickly as I can, okay? So I want you to see it. So watch this. Uh, Verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. By the way, Sea of Tiberias and Sea of Galilee are the same thing. And he manifested himself this way. Now watch what happened. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, the twin, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. That's seven of them. They're all up at Galilee. Now they may have been up at Galilee because Jesus had told them at one time, I will meet you at a mountain in Galilee. That's what they know. Well, they get up there, and if you notice, Simon Peter said to them in verse 3, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll come with you, and they went out and got in the boat, and that night caught nothing. Now, I've had people tell me that Simon Peter's quitting, that he's decided to go back to be a fisherman and not serve Jesus. I don't think that at all. I think they came up there to wait for Jesus. Peter said, no sense just standing around. Let's go fishing. And so they got in the boat to go fishing. They fished all night. They caught nothing. And watch what happens. Verse 4, but when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. So Jesus called out to them and said, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, the way this is asking the Greek, he knows they don't have any fish. So he says, you didn't really catch anything, did you? And they answer, no. And of course, who's going to know that? Who could know that they didn't catch anything? Well, it's Jesus because he knows everything. And he said to them, why don't you cast out the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast the net out. And it was so many fish they couldn't pull it in. Do you remember at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus when they were all in a boat one time and Jesus said, cast your net. They had worked all night long. Peter had worked all night. And Jesus said, cast your net over there and catch some fish. And Peter said, I worked all night. We didn't catch anything. But if you tell me to do it, I'll do it. They pulled it over. There were so many fish they couldn't even pull it up. And then Peter realized that Jesus is the Son of God. And he said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a wicked wicked man. That's at the beginning of the ministry. Now, this is the end of the ministry. Jesus said, you didn't catch any fish, did you? No, we didn't. Put it out to the right side of the boat. They put it out to the right side of the boat. They couldn't even pull it in. And notice what happened. Uh, Verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, and he was stripped for work, and he threw himself in the sea. They're about 100 yards from shore. Peter didn't even wait for them to bring the boat in. He jumps in the water and swims to the shore. Meanwhile, they're coming in with the boats full of fish. In fact, the Gospel of John tells you that one of the nets had 150, that's what it says, it has 153 fish in it. Okay, so they they get specific and everything. And so, uh, by the way, and and so they get there. And when they get there, Jesus has already has a charcoal fire going and some fish on it, and they're going to eat breakfast. They're going to be. You probably say, "I don't, I don't eat fish for breakfast." What? Well, I do. I was in Israel in 1976, and we were at the Sea of Galilee, and they have a fish they call Saint Peter's fish. They call it that, and they serve it for breakfast. And we had it for breakfast. It's good. And so anyway, they uh, they got there, and Jesus has breakfast for them, and he says, "Come and have breakfast." And then he does something. This is something amazing. This is the third time, his third appearance to the disciples, and here's what he says to them. So he gets one by himself, and that's Peter, and look what he does. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, You know I love you. And he said, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now let's stop and think for a minute. What is Jesus doing? Do you remember? He's got Peter by himself and he asked him three times, do you love me? We'll come back to it more in a minute. Why is he doing this? Because if you remember, Peter denied Jesus three times that night. And I think what he's trying to say is, Peter, you love me? Do what I tell you to do. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? And I think Jesus is saying, listen, forget that old stuff. Forget mistakes, the three mistakes, because you love me. You love me. You love me. Three different times. Notice what he does when he says this. Here's the question. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, by the way, more than these what? These fish? These other guys? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. He just says, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so what did he say? Well, I just wanted to bring this up. He wanted Peter to know. That failure's not the end. He, he's questioning Peter. Why? Because Peter had failed three times. They asked him three times, do you love me? And here's something you've got to understand, that God will use you. He's saying to Peter, I don't care how much you failed me. Three times you failed me, it doesn't make any difference because I'm going to use you. I want you to take care of my sheep. And every one of us in this room, we fail him and we fail him all the time. And sometimes when we fail him, we say, God, I'm not going to use me anymore. And you know what he says to you? Get up and get going. I'm going to use you. Past failure means nothing. I'm going to take you and use you for my glory. And if you will say to God, take my life and use me, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. He will take you and use you. And so he says, do you love me, Peter? And he said, yeah, I love you. He said, take care of my lambs. That's like be a shepherd. He says the second time, do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. Shepherd my sheep, provide and protect. He says a third time, do you love me? He says, yes, I do, Lord. You know that I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. And so what you're seeing is that Jesus is giving Peter responsibility. And you could say, Peter could have been thinking, you know, I blew it. He'll really never use me again. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to use you all over the world. I'm going to use you. You're going to disciple. You're going to shepherd my sheep. You're going to do what I tell you to do because you love me. Not because you failed me but because you love me. Look what he said. Here's the commission to Peter. Shepherd the flock, feed, protect, take care of. And you may say, well, that's that's Peter's job. And then some of you say, well, that's JB's job because he gets to be a pastor and that's what a pastor does. But you realize that all of us do that. All of us take the gifts, talents, and abilities that we have and we shepherd each other. We take care of each other. I want you to understand that We are to help each other's growth. We're protecting one another. We're feeding one another. We're warning one another. We're encouraging one another. And that's the key. Now, let me stop for a second because most of you, if you know the Bible, you know that when Jesus talks to Peter and he says, do you love me? He uses certain words. Let me remind something. There are at least four Greek words in the New Testament for love. There are two that are famous. One is called agape. Agapao is the verb. Agape is the noun. It's a strong word that is probably, it's always used of God's love, and it's a very strong word. There's another word called phileo, and it is, uh, it's a little bit less powerful word. Uh, We get the the name Philadelphia. Uh, Phileo adelphos. Adelphos is the Greek word for brother. Phileo is love, and that's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. So here's what's amazing. When Jesus the first time says to Peter, he says, do you love me? He uses agapao. He uses agape. That's the strong word. And when Peter answers, he says, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. He uses the weaker word. I think it's because he said to himself, Jesus, 
I could never love you the way you love me. That's what I think he's thinking. Then Jesus says the second time, do you agape, do you agapao, love me, the strong word. Peter answers the second time and says, I phileo, love you. And then Jesus does something unique. On the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo, love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo, love you. So what Jesus did is came down to Peter's level and basically said, it don't matter what kind of love, I'm going to use you for my honor and my glory. Let me tell you, he loves you beyond what you could imagine. And you could say, I could never love God like he loves me. That's true. But guess what? He still loves us to the maximum. He's going to use you to the maximum. And here's the key. It is this. We are to love Jesus as we serve him. That's what we're supposed to be doing. He's asking us, do you love me? And what we're supposed to say is, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Powerful truth. Tend my sheep. Let's take care of each other. In the love of Jesus Christ, let's take care of each other because we love him. And he loves us. Let me tell you what we've seen this morning. We've seen, let's praise God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about this. First of all, it brings peace because we can rest to the fact that he died and rose again. That's why three different times he says, peace be with you. Peace be, but you know, peace, the peace of God. And it brings peace. So we don't have to be afraid because he died and rose again. Second is, we're going to rise. Bodily resurrection, it's the key. Every one of us in this room, you're going to be raised from the dead one way or the other. If you've trusted Christ, I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ so you know you have eternal life. One of these days, either you're going to die, either he's going to come in the clouds and take you, either you're going to die physically to be absent from the body's presence of the Lord, then he's going to raise that body, or he's going to change the body. Either way, and we're going to have bodies that will be forever. We're going to live on this earth for a thousand years in the kingdom, and then we're going to live in the new heavens and new earth for, for eternity in a body, bodily resurrection. The third thing is let's believe even though we have not seen. Now, this is powerful. We need to believe even if we haven't seen. Now, let me, let me I'm gonna, I told you I wanted to read something for you. In about AD 39, there was a man by the name of Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. Jesus died around 33. This is six or seven years later that Josephus was a historian. He was Jewish, but sometimes he sided with the Romans, and sometimes he sided with the Jews. Uh, he thought he was real smart, so every now and then he'd look and say, which way is the wind blowing? And if it was, looked like Romans, he'd get over with the Romans. If it looked like Jews, he'd get over with the Jews. But he, now, he was not a Christian. He was a Jew who did not believe in Christ. But here's what he wrote about Jesus. He wrote this, we think, around uh, we're not sure, it's after 39 A.D. This is what he wrote. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as they received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross... Those who loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the prophets had foretold, and these 10,000 and other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named after him are not extinct even to this day. He says Jesus rose 
from the dead, and he was not a believer, but he stated the fact of the truth. Jesus rose from the dead. Wow, let's believe, even though we haven't seen. The fourth one is just, and I'm going to show you this, may we shepherd others in the flock, I'm going to put it up that way. We think about each other. Let's feed, provide, protect, and warn. Let's help each other as we grow. Let's love and serve Jesus now. That's what he said. If you love me, take care of the flock. That's what we're supposed to do. He loves us and will use us as long as we are alive. Now, you've got to understand something. If I asked you to stand up, if you sinned yesterday, if you would all stand up. If I asked you to say, how many of you think that you have earned the right to serve Jesus Christ, not a one of you would stand up. But God says, I want to take you, and I will use you as long as you're alive. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how you've messed up. It doesn't matter where you fall short. He's already paid for every sin. He loves you with an unconditional, unchanging love. And he says to every one of us, I want to use you for my glory. And so it doesn't matter your past. There's some of you in this room that say, you just don't know the things I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. As long as you're alive, he will use you. If you will say to him, God, will you take my life? What's left of it? Whatever gifts, talents, abilities, anything you've given me, I want to serve you, Lord. He will take you and use you for his glory. We know God will use us for his glory.